This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us. A real bunch of experts on the show today. We were in conversation with Adam, the OT, occupational therapist extraordinaire, about the do's and don'ts when it comes to buying toys this Christmas. From developing their skills to the social side and ultimately what to put back on the shelf. Speaking to lawyer turned podcaster and coach Selena Lee about unlocking your potential, living by your values and getting unstuck. Plus, house and house were on hand as we explore buying off plan, especially in light of that new Metro Blue line. What impact could that have on house prices and where you buy next? And in our legal clinic, it was Devon and Mahadeva talking family law, everything from getting married to getting divorced and future estate planning too. Adam, the OT's to- toy shop is open. Uh, it's our expert guide to choosing the best toys for your child's development this Christmas, from little ones all the way through to big. How to help you spend your hard-earned dirhams. Adam Griffin is the head of occupational therapy at Kamali Clinic. Christmas shopping done, I trust. Well, you know what? I am so organised this year. I've impressed myself. So, yeah, we're pretty on the ball. Gosh, well, we're helping everyone else today with your expert's guide to buying toys for all ages. And maybe we should start with some common pitfalls that parents fall into. Let's start with the don'ts before we get to the do's, if that's all right. Okay. There's a whole bunch of these. I'm going (laughs) to go through some of my greatest hits. So a few of them is, number one, don't entirely just shop with your eyes. Don't be swept up with the marketing and packaging and things like that. A lot of stores, will mar- they'll have the toy you have to get for Christmas. And it comes in a lot of plastic packaging. It has lots of whiz-bang effects and lights and sounds it does. It maybe will have, oh look, it has fine motor skills and sensory stickers on the box. Yeah, they all have that. Mm-hmm. But it's more if you consider how you're going to play with it. And is this child going to still be interested in this thing come New Year's and come January and come February? Mm-hmm. I asked my daughters this morning, we had a little park visit at 8am, what's the best Christmas present you ever got? And they said they're scooters. And I was like, "That's I'm actually pretty chuffed with that because we got them and they they weren't cheap. I think they're about three or four hundred dirhams, but we got them about three years ago and they were adjustable. Yeah. And they are the gift that keeps giving. They love them. Well, you you have gifted me my perfect segue into one of the best do's, which is you talked about those scooters, something that grows with the child, something that actually encourages them to get out necessarily to just get out in the outdoors but it demands it's not something the child passively engages with Mm -hmm. it's something that is active you can use to explore and get around and the way you adjust it it's not going to just get tossed away immediately it's not going to feel like something babyish that they leave behind it's like oh no i'm i'm too old for that sort of thing now Mm -hmm. and also you get even dovetail a little bit of course it's got physicality it's got sensory and exercise elements but it's even a social thing because it's something they can do with their sister or their friends or get out and about and get in the scene the don'ts i want to come back to the don'ts because i've made a few mistakes over the years um bringing back the lol camper van from the uk not great for the space. And did she care when we got it back here? Couldn't couldn't really care less. Um, so when we're thinking about that whiz bang and the noises and the batteries and things like that, sometimes that does have a mm. role. But on the whole, are we thinking about things that are perhaps more adaptable, more creative, more imaginative play? Yes, all of those things. One of the I like small things that really click with parents they can remember. 
one of the dichotomies I'd like parents to think about is I want you to look for engagement, not entertainment. Because entertainment is all great and it does a, puts on a little light show. There was a toy that my guys got last year. My guys are in the green room today listening Shout to this out right to now. The junior yeah. Shout out to Abby and Mia in there. But it is was a lovely present on the day and has like dry ice sort of things going on and lots of lights and noises and surprises. Great. Did it really get pulled out again after the silly season was over? It didn't really, an awful lot, to be honest. But that's fine. There's a place for entertainment. But also you want, if you're thinking of different options or in different, say if you, especially if you're like buying for a cousin or a nephew or a grandchild or something like that, there's certain things you can kind of consider that's not maybe the most impressive, entertaining thing, not a battery-powered thing, not thing that has massive plastic parts, one of my big pet peeves, not something that demands a huge amount of unboxing. Oh, gosh, mm. and you're there with the scissors kind of like hacking away at the plastic. Yeah. And then there's always like a, a, a tie that you can't quite get undone. There's that. And oh. also, the, for those, the unboxing is the most exciting, I would even say perhaps the only exciting part, because then this thing is cast off and you're stepping on it. And you're like, oh, that's that thing from that doll or whatever. Well, I don't I don't want to name and shame LOLs. I personally find them really creepy, but they also have this thing. It's like 50 surprises inside. And it's this little kind of, as you're saying, the, the and here's a high heel and here's a tiara. And yeah. it's just more stuff to get no, lost. I don't want to badmouth LOLs. <laughs> well, we could have a studio invasion by my daughter <laughs> kicking the door down if I badmouth LOLs. I mind getting into a Kareem. <laughs> yes, but the if you have a child who's into LOLs, if they collect LOLs, if that's their interest and their passion, even if it's something you don't particularly, oh, I don't love that toy, imagine like you're driving your car and you hit a patch of ice, steer into it. you got to steer into the skid. And you really, if it's whether it's LOLs or Minecraft or Marvel or anything, I will always embrace enthusiasms wherever they lie because it doesn't end just with the LOL. You can get LOL activity books and action figures and different games and lots of other creativity you can reach out into. We are going to be talking about some of the best toys for kids this year. The Timeless with Adam Griffin. He is the head of occupational therapy at Kamali Clinic. I'm going to be revealing the two gifts I always have in the drawer when there's an emergency birthday or occasion around the corner. Adam Griffin in the studio with us this afternoon. He is the head of occupational therapy at the Kamali Clinic. And we're talking about toys to get and indeed avoid this holiday season. So I did tease you a little bit there, Adam. I said there were, there were a couple of toys that I always have in the emergency present drawer. And this is when, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's when the kids have been invited to a birthday party. <laughs> I've forgotten we've accepted the invitation and it's tomorrow. So whenever they're on sale, I'll buy kind of two or three. So we always, and it's about 35 dirhams, a flower press. The mm. kids love it. You know, go around the neighborhood, flower press, and then you can turn it into crafts. And that is always like an absolute go-to. And there's a fort building kit that you can buy. I think it's by a company called Discovery, I want to say. And it's got pegs and a sheet and you can turn, you know, your living room or your bedroom into a fort or a den. So those are my kind of go-to's. Gold star from the OT over here. That's really, really good. And Lego, obviously. Annoyingly, that's better than most of the ones I have on the list in front of me. But the ones I wish, but the Fort Building Kit, yeah, I had that before. That's amazingly good because toys like that that encourage creative role play things. Also, toys that give new life 
to an environment you're already familiar with. Mm-hmm. So we, you build the fort and it's the it's already available to you. It's um, fantastic. And the flower press, flower presses, bug catchers, any of these things that encourage natural nature play. And it's something you can collect as well. A flower press is, I've had this one before. I recommended it to families and it was for a young boy, young preteen boy. And it was kind of a sleeper hit because a lot of guys... When you open the box, you're like, oh, what's that? And they don't actually know what a flower press is, and they have to see it. I'm like, okay. But then when they see the results of it, it's actually a really cool thing. Oh, it's lovely. And we use them for making greetings cards and little, you know, little gifts and things. One, I just don't know that, though, because watch that, because well, this boy I'm thinking of, he had a, the reason it came bug catcher. He had a bug catcher in the flower press. There was some interaction between the bugs and the flower press, <laughs> which isn't encouraged. <laughs> so just watch out for that. Careful what you press, people. Um, I know you've got a lot of people asking you on social media right now about what toy is best for dot 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 so putting i mean obviously you've got your dad hat on all the time but putting your ot hat on um if if you're looking at encouraging motor skills what would be on your shopping list yeah there's a few of these so there's some that are almost so developmentally rich you could recommend them for almost anything so for motor skills the child has to be interested and engaged like emotionally invested in the task lego is almost the best toy you can imagine because it does so many different things. Mm -hmm. It's so demanding from a motoric perspective. The child's really engaged to... um create the thing and have it finished. There's lots of ways it brings in creativity. You can't just... You don't have to just make the thing that's on the box. The other thing I would bring in for that as well is back to the do's and don'ts slightly, is you'll be guided slightly by the age recommendations on the box. That's not a hard, that's more a recommendation than a hard and fast rule. Don't be afraid to challenge your child with a, like a, a Lego set that's slightly above their ability. It's also a great way to bring in mom and dad mm-hmm. to get involved too. And I would imagine attention would be a good one for Lego as well. You know, sitting down for a task. And I say this as someone in her early 40s, my attention span <laughs> over the last few years has gone to pot like it really is atrocious mm. are you seeing this in kids as well you are but then because they're emotionally invested in the activity that sustained attention can almost be mystifying you'll have kids who have really struggled with attention in listening to their english teacher but they could they'll sit down for seven hours to make a lego death star <laughs> okay what about sensory play if you say slime i am getting you out of my <laughs> studio and turning down that microphone i cannot stand it is there any way of having sensory play without trashing my house. There is. So slime and glitter are no one's... Pr- kinetic sand. Kinetic oh. sand. Get well, out. You see, there's ways <laughs> to contain these. There is OT... Fr- I have my OT-friendly slime that is almost slime that's not too slimy and doesn't get everywhere. But slime in general, yeah, it's a nightmare. Um, OTs... This is why I think... Uh, and I say this in jest, people, but I think any therapist who doesn't have kids themselves and recommends these things for home programming should have a massive asterisk beside their name and said, you don't understand. This is like, no. That's how I feel whenever I've had it on the show, like a, a child's nutritionist. I'm like, I hear what you're saying about the broccoli patties. Do you have kids yourself? <laughs> oh, no, I don't. Oh, interesting. Okay. All the, all the families on Instagram seem to be having a ball with mm, it. They love it. Yeah, great. But, so sensory play that, that mum and dad won't hate. Yes. So lovely ones for that is anything that's based on like arts and crafts. So there's lots of arts and crafts activities because again, it's purposeful play. There's a very clear objective at the end. You can bring in a social element to it or having mom and dad and sisters involved in it as well. So if you imagine any play experience, look beyond just what you're seeing, what you're seeing in the box and imagine what it feels like, what it smells like, what the texture and touch is like as well. You can um, bring in any uh, creative 
there's lots of sensory toys, like, for example, for uh, writing on the walls or writing in the windows. Mm. We've had a few bath crayons in our time yeah, as well. Yeah, that's exactly one of the, the... Which brings us very neatly to handwriting. And I was speaking to a friend just yesterday about how she was tearing her hair out and her son, who does have some additional needs, he was writing a birthday card and she was like, I really got close to kind of losing my temper with him because he was trying, but the effort was not matching, matching the outcome. And for any parents, whether their child has any kind of diagnosis or it's just something that's a bit of a stumbling block for them for whatever reason, are there any toys or tools that you'd recommend that could help with handwriting without them going, this is a rubbish present? Yeah, 100%. And they're sneaky like OT. This will subtly build the foundational skills you need for it. Lego, you could have that as well. But I've already, let's go on beyond, think beyond Lego for a minute. Um, Play-Doh is fantastic. So because there's two elements, you want to strengthen the muscles and motoric skills intrinsic to the activity of handwriting. And then you actually want the kind of top-down approach of working on the handwriting skills as well. Mm. So I would have Things like Play-Doh, and uh, there's a company called Crazy Aaron. It's a thinking putty. That's lovely as well. It's very resistive. It's like Play-Doh, except it's a lot thick, stiffer, and you can keep it in a nice little handy tin. doesn't mess up your house. And the other point as well is look for, if the child's into Marvel or Minecraft or anything, look for activity books. So activity books, well, for younger kids, there could be coloring books, there could be puzzles, there could be anything. But because it's themed in that area, then you're getting that motivation because that's what doesn't exist for handwriting. They're not mm. at all. They'll run a mile from anything that even has the whiff of handwriting writing about it. So when you capture their interest with something that already have like a, a positive association with, then you can build on that. Adam Griffith with us today. Julie's saying, I'd often with my all my three daughters include a flower press and their party bag when they had parties and it was always such a big hit. As I said, they're really affordable. I think the ones I get are about 35 dirhams. Um, I've got two angles I want to ask you about. One is the toddlers because I feel like this is often a bit of a, a whiz bang, bang this drum and a light's going to go off. Um, what would be on your kind of checklist for a good toddler gift, Adam? Oh, I, this is one of my favourite ones because I have a little kind of hack for buying for babies and toddlers. So if you have have a baby or toddler you want to buy with. Imagine the toy you would buy for a very excited little puppy. Because (laughs) the kind of things that capture their interest, everything's novel, everything's new and exciting. Things you can get to grips with. Textures. Texture, something you can grab and hold with little tiny hands. Something that's safe to go in the mouth. Something that maybe does something surprising. So it could be something as easy as a posting toy where you hit a button and a little jack-in-the-box guy pops up. Nothing. It doesn't need to have a lot of lights and sounds. It doesn't need to be because... You don't need overstimulation. Anything like something as well, as they're getting moving, something encourages that movement. So maybe something you push down the top and it rolls away from you. Companies like Early Learning Center, ELC, they're lovely for that sort of thing. They're on my naughty list, to be completely honest, because they categorize their toys by girls and boys. And actually another store did this and I was like... And my daughter said, why are they putting Harry Potter in the four boys section? I was like, do you know what, Phoebe? You are absolutely right. Yeah, my own girls could kick off in that one as well. But Harry Potter, not just for girls. Absolutely right. Um, And lastly, that kind of tween, early teen age group. um, Anything that you've seen that's been really a big hit with some of uh, your kids, um, whether that's in clinic or in the house? Yeah, so for the, the older the kids, the more you kind of have to listen to what they're into and get involved in their world. It can be very opaque from the outside looking in. So you need to understand, okay, where are they living? What are they, what are they into? What's their loves? What's their interests? Something that works a lot for me, the kids actually get really engaged with it. They're sometimes like, oh, I don't know what this is, but they really love is things like, I don't want to say executive function games because that makes them sound very boring, but they're puzzles and little challenges. There's a company called Smart Games make very, very good versions of this. You go into places like Virgin and have tons and tons of activities, but there'll be something that's a puzzle that have um, like beginner, junior, a 
intermediate master and wizard so they can really challenge themselves it's something that you could even because you can grade the level they can bring in mom and dad and say you have a go and it's really challenging they can involve their friends so something that has that graded ability that captures the curiosity and interest but also understand what they're what they're all about what they love what they're passionate about love this really helpful stuff adam thank you have you compiled a list or some guidelines for anyone that you know wants to listen to this again and find out in more detail. Where can we find that? Well, have a look at my Instagram, so Adam the OT on Instagram. I haven't got it yet, but on the strength of this conversation, I feel like I must because the bat signal is up for these toys now for Christmas. So I have to help out the big man in the North Pole. In the meantime, you can check out Adam the OT on Instagram. If you want that, you can just send me the word OT. I will send you the link. Great resource. And we were talking about handwriting earlier. If that's something that is a bit of a stumbling block for you and your family, um, fantastic advice. And you can find him in real life at Kamali Clinic, where Adam Griffin is the head of occupational therapy. Thank you. I'm not going to say Merry Christmas yet because I want to see you before then. But thank you for now. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I don't even know where to start with you, Selena, because my goodness, when we think about having many strings to your bow, uh, you know, award-winning writer, podcast coach, career coach, um, what do you feel is your mission in life? I guess, for want of a better phrase, when you when you look back at the end of your life, what do you think? Okay, that that was the work I did. Wow, what a profound question to start our conversation. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you, Helen, so much for inviting me to share my story with you. Um, I think um, my mission in life um, is that I'm called to do the work of helping people have the courage to pursue their dreams. And I think I became the person who I really needed myself years ago when I was uh, struggling to figure out my own career, um, I had this idea that I needed to really um, check off all the boxes, right? Boxes by going to good school, getting a good job, and somehow that was to um, guarantee success and happiness. And, Mm -hmm. And oh boy, oh my gosh, I learned the hard way that is absolutely not true. So I had my own uh, fair shares of struggles and transitions in my own career, and I was desperately seeking guidance and help, which I really couldn't find anywhere. And like, unlike some other things where we, if we're, if you hurt your foot, you know to go to a foot doctor, or if you need a skincare, you know to go see uh, someone who specializes in that. But we frankly don't know where to turn to when we're really figuring out or struggling to figure out the next direction in our career and life. And that was where I found myself when I was a a corporate lawyer at a big law firm in New York City. And I had done everything that I thought I was supposed to do, like kind of follow the formula for success. And I was left feeling very unfulfilled and without any idea about where I, what I might want to do next. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I thought about my childhood dream was, which was to write a book. And then eventually I gave myself the permission to pursue that. And I think now that I kind of look back on my own journey, I feel like I became the person that I desperately needed at the time. And um, I've been ever since dedicating my whole life to um, giving people uh, and hopefully uh, serving them and, and helping people to have the courage to give them permission to think about what is it that they really want to do, not what they think they should do, and to really get themselves 
um, the permission to take action to make it a reality because it's apparently one of the biggest regret people have on their deathbed is that they didn't live a life that is true for themselves. Absolutely. And I hope that through my work, um, you know, one more person will give themselves the permission and have the courage to pursue what it is that they really call to do. So thank you. <laughs> with, with all of the work you do, whether it's, you know, individual coaching, you know, working with corporations, and obviously you've got that corporate background yourself, as well as the podcast and the people that you meet. What are some of the common mm-hmm. obstacles that you hear from people? You know, what are some of the common challenges that, you know, people face in their careers that's stopping them fulfilling their potential, that's stopping them from living by their values or, or fulfilling their dreams? Yeah, uh, great question. And at this point, I've um, coached a lot of people through career transitions and to really think about their next uh, step in their career. So I've done individual coaching and also group coaching. And also I've uh, been invited to speak a lot of large corporations and organizations. And um, I've heard a lot of the stories of people that they don't necessarily share with even with their close ones. So this I have this kind of a, a data or the pattern for why people are stuck in their careers or why people seem to be really unfulfilled in their jobs. And one of the most um, common themes that I see is that a lot of people confuse what they want with what they think they should want. So people tell themselves, well, I need to be a lawyer because my mom told me that I you know, should be one or should be a doctor or investment banker or whatever you mm-hmm. um, think is a cool job. And then then I really sit to sit down and think about, like, is this really what I want to do and how I want to spend my time? Am I holding on to values that um, other people inherited to me, like my parents or the society? And oftentimes I think people internalize the desires or the wants of other people and believe it is, it is their own. And it's only when they've been at a job for a long time, they realize, actually, this is not what I want to do. And, <laughs> and also, for, well, yeah, for yeah. the next 20 years, potentially, when we think about us living and working a lot longer, it's it's not like retiring at 50 We're anymore. Sh- people are working mm-hmm. until their 70s, and that's a long time to be miserable. Exactly. And then what happens next is that they now think about the song cost, right? Like, oh, my God, I've been at this job for 15, 20 years. How could I possibly, you know, quit and do something else? And then they tell themselves the story of somehow, you know, they're, uh, you know, quitting or they're going to become a loser if they leave. No, actually, I think it's, it's it really depends on the story you tell yourself. Like, I, I don't, you know, practice law anymore, but a lot of my clients are lawyers, not all of them, but because I have gone through the legal training and, and know what it feels to feel like hundred hours a week, which I have, mm-hmm. oh, I can really serve my clients. Right. And so whatever skill sets that you had before um, will serve you. And something that I've learned also is that you can be more than one thing. You could be a lawyer and a writer and a podcast host an entrepreneur or maybe something else or whatever you, um, you know, you, you want to do, but, Oftentimes, people are so defined by what they do that they limit themselves. And there's all these fear about, well, if I'm not a lawyer, who am I? And, and there's this whole like overthinking, underacting that goes on that really, really doesn't help them. So mm-hmm. I've definitely seen all the patterns. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 and I, it's really, honestly, I feel like um, if everybody can really give themselves the permission to really do what they want to do, 
I really feel like the world will be a better place. People will be happier, will be less stressed out, we'll have better service and products. So I feel like it's one of the biggest challenges that our world faces, and I'm really honored to uh, doing my part <laughs> to contribute to solving this big challenge that I see. Can I ask then about what about people listening today who are like, do you know what? I'm tired of trying to strive for the next thing, trying to add more to my plate, trying to earn more and hustle harder. Like, why can't I just be content in, in what I'm doing? Yeah, great question. And that is something that I actually um, see a lot too, especially after the pandemic, a lot of people's perspective um, about career and life have changed significantly. And that is something that I also have noticed too. Um, um, there are people, of course, who are striving for the better and to achieve more, but there are some people who just want to be content with what they have. Yeah, but a work-life balance, maybe, that elusive thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then sometimes I think the, the word balance is, is a tricky one. I think work-life integration might be yeah. a little bit <laughs> easier. <laughs> because We can dream. I think we all have seasons. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I, I don't think you go, you'll ever achieve a perfect balance in any given day or even a week, right? But on some uh, chapters of your life or seasons of your life, you're going to focus more on your careers or family or caring for the ones that, you know, your your maybe elderly parents or some, everybody goes through a season. And then I think um, at the end of your life, if you feel like you've spent your time and energy uh, on the things that you, matter the most to you, I think I would think that's a good life. So. I think what we shouldn't do is necessarily think about achieving the perfect balance, but to think about um, what, what, what do I really care about, what's really important to me, and then knowing our values. And mm-hmm. if you think that I'm not a person who really is happy when I achieve the most you know, amount of things or um, you know, get the most amount of done, then I think then you can really um, think about how do I um, make this different decisions and choices in my life that really reflect that. Maybe you'll say no more. Maybe you don't really need that promotion, but you'll allow yourself more time to relax or pursue hobbies or to spend time with your loved ones. So Mm -hmm. it's really about knowing yourself and being honest with yourself, knowing your values and what's really the most important to you, and then carefully making sure that your decisions and how you spend, spend your time is reflecting those mm-hmm. core values um, that really define who you are. So much to think about. Thank you, Selena Lee. We are going to be back with her in just a few minutes. We're talking about how coaching can help. If she gets a new client who is stuck in a rut, what are some of the questions she would be asking them and that maybe you could ask yourself? We're back with Selena Lee. She is lawyer and, well, of a corporate warrior turned coach and podcaster. So, Selena, let me ask you this. How can coaching help? You know, when you're faced with a new client, you know, someone who might be stuck in a rut in their career, they might be reflecting on something and thinking, you know, like, this is not what I want to be doing for the next 20 years. How does the framework help? And are there any questions that maybe we could be asking ourselves that could start that ball rolling? Yeah, good question. So, Coaching is similar in that kind of like, you know, when athletes have trained to win that gold medal during the Olympics, right? They rarely do it on their own, right? Why? Even though they're probably at the top of their game, because it's really hard to see yourself objectively. Um, we are in our head all the time. 
So it is very hard for us to get out of our own head and then put up a mirror in front of us mm-hmm. and to really see what is really going on. And coaching is similar in that um, you have someone who really has absolutely no other agenda for you because there's really no prior relationship before um, that, and but who really wants you to be the best version that you can be. And for me, this was really life-changing when I was really going through my own struggles in my career. Actually, I was invited to uh, participate in some um, leadership fellowship program in New York City, and then that's when I was introduced to coaching because I, I uh, one of the benefits for joining the program was I got coaching sponsored by the organization, and it was absolutely life-changing. It was, really? Here was this person who really didn't know me before and then was asking really profound and powerful questions to help me get to know myself and then and then um, really to really get out of my own way and, and realize how my own thinking was uh, <laughs> preventing me from moving forward oh. and then to come up with goals, yeah, that was helping me to um, take action and to move forward and then was holding me accountable to make it happen and that really was life-changing and that's when I decided, well, it was a long journey uh, into coaching, but that was the first moment of um, really powerful, um, I guess, uh, transition in my uh, way of, okay, maybe I could do something else. And then, yeah, so that's how I was benefited from coaching, which eventually um, helped me to become a coach myself. And the result of like talking to so many different people about their career transitions or struggles um, and their dreams and goals, I actually designed a coaching framework. It's a four-step process, and this was basically my answer to the reasons as to why I saw people were stuck. And it's actually called LOVE, L-O-V-E. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's an acronym. Um, L stands for learn about yourself. So this is the first step. You have to be aware of your, you know, become self-aware, have self-awareness to, to know your values, and to be honest about what you really want and to not confuse what you want with what you should want. So mm-hmm. knowing your value, core values is the first step. And then the second step, both stands for overcome internal obstacles. I've seen that like so many people stand in our own way of living the life we want because fear <laughs> stops us from taking action, right? Of course, right? So I help people to really um, become aware of their own inner negative voice and to overcome their internal struggles and to teach them how to reframe failures and rejections as not just rejection, but it's the evidence of taking action. Um, and then to be able to manage your inner negative voice. So that's the second step. And then the third step of the law framework is V, so it's visualizing your success. So mm. uh, visualizing yourself having, yes, uh, achieve your dream in your head. It's, it's actually called mental imagery training for psychology. Um, where apparently athletes, when they are, uh, you know, thinking of, uh, you know, really performing to the best of their ability, apparently their body responds the same as actually performing that, which is really fascinating. So I read through a lot of uh, literature, and then I've done this myself too multiple times when I have a goal that seems seemingly impossible. I just think about the image of me having succeeded at it. And I actually did this when I wrote my book. <laughs> and then, you know, I would just, I was an aspiring writer at the time, and I would imagine my book at a big bookstore. It wasn't even written yet. There was no title. It was just an idea in my head that I kept thinking about how one day it would, it would be prominently displayed at a bookstore and how one day I would become a speaker to share the story of how 
um, I achieved my childhood dream of writing a book and all of that and many, many more came true. <laughs> wow. Um, and then, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's really fun and um, it really works. So I really hope that people give themselves the permission to try it. Mm-hmm. And then the last step of the love coaching framework is explore and take action. So exploring your curiosities, paying attention to what interests you and giving yourself permission to just try that and then taking action. So many people just think about it for many, many, many hours that don't do anything about it. But what is what you really want to do? I feel like you're speaking (laughs) to a lot of people's souls right now, Selena. (laughs) Yes, overthinking and underacting is is, is something that is very, very common. There's a quote that says something like, 20 minutes of doing something is more valuable than 20 hours of thinking about doing something. <laughs> yep, sounds and about right. Some people, some people, but, but we procrastinate because we're, we're afraid of, of starting and failing. Sure. We're afraid of it not being perfect enough. And it's easier to say that you didn't try than try and fail. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and procrastination is not because people procrastinate, not because they're lazy, but oftentimes mm. it's fear. Like, if you don't try it, you don't have to put yourself out there. You actually don't have to face a potential rejection or failure, right? But if you actually think about it, that's actually short-term thinking because ultimately what's more important is your goals and dreams and that emotion is fleeting. It's, it's like the weather in the sky. Like it will, it will pass, right? The cloud will pass, the rain will pass. But mm-hmm. ultimately what you do want is to achieve your goals and your dreams. And then so you have to think about um, that's much more important than your fleeting emotion. So giving ourselves the permission to take action is what will actually help us to <laughs> to, to achieve the life that we, we dream of. Oh, Selena Lee with us. So we are going to be speaking to her next about why our idea of success changes as we get older. are talking to lawyer turned coach and podcaster Celine Lee ahead of her appearance at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. If you missed the first part of our chat, you can find it on our podcast that will be available later this evening on Apple, Amazon, Spotify and more. Now, Selena, what is left for you? You know, when we think about what success looks like when you're 20, it's very different, um, you know, a couple of, couple of years later. So I can tell by the sound of your voice that you've got things on your to-do list. So what does success look like? And... Uh, what are you going to do to get there? Yeah, and well, thank you so much for that question. And I, I really feel I'm called to do this work of serving people. When I um, went back to coaching school to get certified, it was pretty funny because when I, the day that I walked out of law school and finished my bar exam, which was the exam to become a lawyer in the U.S., I thought I was done with school. But little did I know, many years later, I went back to become a coach again. And the first day of coaching school, I felt like I came home. I, I felt mm. like I was wearing clothes that was really comfortable for me and that I could just be myself and do this really, really well. So um, my work continues and my, my mission continues to serve people, to help people, to really help people understand that you really can achieve your dream. Like if you, if you really can just give yourself the permission to take action and to have the courage to take action, and I want one, um, so that I think is my continuing life mission that I'm going to <laughs> continue on uh, for a very long time. I love that. And something that I am on. Mm-hmm. And something that I've also learned the hard way and continuing to work on myself as well as um, teach my clients is the idea of 
being kind to yourself, to being, to have self-compassion. Mm-hmm. I um, <laughs> am an overachiever and a perfectionist, uh, recovering one, still working on it. Um, and I think I've lived in this society where I was defining my sense of self-worth with how much you achieve and how productive I am. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that it's actually really not healthy. And that um, so many, I've seen so many successful people are really self-critical of themselves because they think that's the only way to get things done. But actually science proves it otherwise. Um, self-compassion is what helps you to be more productive and to have better relationship and to get more things done and to more become more successful, whereas mm-hmm. self-criticism leads to depression, anxiety, helps you be less productive, yeah, ruins all the relationship, right? Can, mm-hmm. I, can I ask you lastly that, about the people that you surround yeah. yourself with? You know, we've, we've spoken about finances on the show before and there's uh, quite a few financial experts and educators who say, you know, the most defining factor in, in you being wealthy is who you choose to marry and that can be to do with you know their spending habits their values how you work together as a team so when we're thinking about fulfilling careers what role does a partner does you know parental upbringing even you know having having kids and and friends as well play do you think selena Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's uh, hugely important in all decisions and actions in our lives right so i think what would be helpful is to think about who are the people that are working towards the goal that you are working towards or have already achieved it, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say if you're trying to run a marathon and you are surrounded by people who eat junk food all the time and think that's like the stupidest idea ever and <laughs> they, they they really laugh at you that when you're going out for a run at 7 a.m. in the morning, you're probably not going to be very encouraged to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. But if you join a running club and everybody has already run the marathon, everybody, they all think that, of course, you should run the marathon, then it's going to be much more helpful for you to keeping yourself motivated, right? Whatever your goal or side project or dream is, think about people who are doing that or who have already achieved that goal. Where are they hanging out in person or online? And then to be able to join that community and to spend a lot of time with them. Um, I'm sure you've heard that quote saying, um, you are an average uh, five people you spend the most time with, right? Mm-hmm. So the desires of people around you affect your own desires. And same thing with social media too. Like if you are trying to be frugal and spend money and not buy a lot of things. Maybe <laughs> unfollow some people. <laughs> unfollow the people who encourage shopping, right? So I'm not saying not just real people and your friends and family and all that, but also like who you let into your life yeah, through absolutely. your social media followings or yeah. and we, that I think it's will totally impact uh, how you spend your time and the decisions you make. I think it, I think you're absolutely right. We forget um, just how much control we have over what goes into our eyes, our brains, our ears and we do have the power mm-hmm. to, to curate that and I've yeah I've done some yeah. unfollowing over the last few weeks let's just say um <laughs> and um yeah. you know you want to you know surround yourself in real life and online by people who inspire you and that doesn't mean about you know about being motivating quotes but it can be you know homes you love or food you love or people whose vibe you just you know enjoy hanging out with sure. um what are some of your favorite accounts? I keep on saying last question because I'm really enjoying speaking to you. What, um, but in terms of people that inspire you, if you give us a couple of accounts to follow on Instagram, apart from yourself, Selena Lee, what, uh, who should we be pressing the follow oh, sure. button on? Yeah, well, one of the um, uh, person that I really love following is uh, Sarah Blakely. Um, she's a founder of um, 
uh, Spanx. Yes. Uh, you probably have heard she. She's an amazing entrepreneur. I think uh, when um, she was at one point the youngest self-made billionaire who didn't get money from her husband or father, which mm-hmm. is very, very inspirational. And um, I love following her account because she's very honest and um, authentic in how she shares about her journey and her life. And and so that really, really is inspirational. I, I follow then, her too. I, I think, think she she did a couple of oh posts recently God, that um, <laughs> she was talking about how she marketed yeah. the business um, initially and she was wearing mm-hmm. this like black t-shirt that had Spanx on it and she was just like, just wore it everywhere and people asked her and I was like, it's really cool to think about the origin stories of some of these brands that you just, you know, kind of take for granted mm-hmm. that they're doing really well, that they had that founder with, you know, boots on the ground wearing a T-shirt that she'd had made in the mall, you know, to try and advertise her company. Yeah. So she's a great one. By the way, yes. we should say you're on Instagram as Selena's Dream. So while you're while you're adding. Yeah. And one last recommendation, mm-hmm. Selena, it could be a person to follow, a book to read. Obviously, you've got your podcast. Anyone else you think is uh, is inspirational? Oh, yeah. So, well, I would love to invite people to listen to my podcast mm-hmm. called Live Your Dream with Selena Lee. Um, and... I also, um, other podcasts that I love uh, to listen is one of them is called How I Built This. Yes, it's a, um, a great one. Uh, you, I'm sure you know, it's on NPR. It's, it's uh, the host, Guy Ross, does a really fantastic job interviewing amazing entrepreneurs and their stories of building their, their companies. And I just, I'm a person who's very interested in the human arc of life. You know, how people become who they are. Mm-hmm. What decision do they make to achieve their goals and dreams? So I'm interested in their products and services or the company, but I'm more interested in the person behind it. That's yeah. why I really enjoy listening to that podcast. Another one that I really love is called Hidden Brain. And mm-hmm. it's all about psychology and how psychology affects people's decision and who they become. And it's really, really fascinating. Um, so Hidden Brain would be another recommendation I'm that I would... I'm adding uh, it. I'm <laughs> adding like it right now. I love this. I love this. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm also super yeah. interested in kind of people's arcs because, you know, to be, oh, succe- sure. to be successful sure. at 21 isn't that exciting. But to be have found your passion or found love or moved to another country in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, beyond, I think that's that's far more exciting and far more you know, inspiring in in some ways that, you know, it's all ahead of us. Um, Selena, thank you so much for your time. You are going to be there, the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature um, 2024, which it sounds like it's ages away. It's not. It's really just around the corner. Um, So thank you. It's going to be fantastic to meet you in person. And I know you're going to be on some great discussion points there at the Lit Fest. So we can't wait to welcome you to the UAE in person. Yes, I'm so excited. Uh, My session is on February 2nd, Friday at 8.30 a.m. in the morning. And then we'll be talking about how to redesign success and leadership. So if anyone's interested, we'd love for you to join us and to meet you in person. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lena. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon ahead. Okay. Thank you, Helen. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. We love introducing you to the experts and in the studio now is Paul Charland, the off-plan sales manager at House & House. Now, the Dubai uh, Metro line, the new line has been announced, going to be costing 18 billion dirhams. 
30 kilometres and including 14 new stations. But what does that new metro line mean for the Emirate and for the real estate market as a whole? How are you, Paul? I'm very well, thank you, Helen. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, really well. How long have you been in the UAE for? Uh, 18 years. Oh, about the same as me. So do you, you remember when the, the first metro line was announced and it was like, it was, I think it was 999, I think they announced it on. And it, it, was, it was a real spectacle. Seeing the metro for the first time felt like a real moment. Yeah, it certainly did. And I think when it, when it actually opened, which was, uh, what, September 2009, yeah. I mean, you know, we was in the doldrums then. You know, Dubai wasn't performing very well because we'd gone through the financial crash of the end of 2008. That's right. But they, they didn't, you know, they knew how important infrastructure was and, you know, the metro and going forward. So, I mean, I think obviously with COP28 going on as well right now, the metro's become absolutely integral for, for getting people around the city, especially out to, to Expo City. I'm going to be using it tomorrow morning as we broadcast live. So with the new Dubai Metro Blue Line, where is it going to be? Where is it going to cover? Well, um, it's going to cover uh, International City from one end, um, where it's going to have actually the, uh, the new station, the International City Underground Station. Uh, just a little fact for you, that's going to be 44,000 square metres. The biggest Ooh. underground station at the moment is Union Station in Dira, which is 25,000 square metres. Wow. Uh, so that's going to cover Dubai Creek, um, it's going to go to Al Waka, Rashidia, um, so all of that area. I mean, I think going into International City, I mean, there's a huge amount of people living there who are going to use the metro. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they know the importance of that. So we're looking out that way, as so I can say, Murdoch, Al Waka, um, International City, Silicon Oasis, I think, is going yes. to be there. Murdoch. Academic City. Yeah. Dubai Creek Harbour, I'm really interested in, and Festival City as well. Um, do we have a timeline on it? Well, they're saying 2029, but I think with with what Dubai is doing at the moment, I, I, I truly believe it's going to be before that. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been here 18 years. You know, looking back, you know, is, can we measure previous impact on metro services and Dubai neighbourhoods as such in terms of those places being serviced by public transport? Um, I think it's fair to say that if, if you had to, you know, if you speak to most people now in Dubai and they say, what's their number one gripe? It's going to be the traffic. You know, we, we accept that. Particularly the last 12 months, we've never seen, I've never seen anything like I it. Have, I, I would say even, even shorter than the last, the last two months for me. My drive home has gone from, I'd say, 20 to 25 minutes to closer to 45 to 50 Yeah, minutes. and I think we saw an uplift again from, from when the schools opened because more people moved here in the summer. Mm-hmm, so, right. yeah, from September onwards, that makes sense. So I, I know it's kind of impossible to say, but you, there's no way of putting a percentage increase on, you know, if you happen to own a property in Dubai Silicon Oasis, for example, having that metro service it, you'd be like, oh, that's pretty good. You could be seeing a, I don't know, 5% increase in the value of your home. Or is it impossible to say, Paul? Yeah, it is impossible, really. I, mean, I think it was the National that quoted 5%. I think if you're, if you're a walk away from the metro, um, if you're in an area where it's going in, obviously it's very positive. The impact it have is it's a guess, mm-hmm. but it's, it's obviously good for that particular master development. Paul Charland is with us. He is the off-plan sales manager at House & House. Can we talk about buying off-plan in general? Would that be okay? What do we define as off-plan when we think about the process of a development? Where, where's your area of specialty as such? To be honest, I mean, we in, in the off-plan and investment um, part, department of House & House, we, we will look at all of Dubai, which we see as the best areas to invest into off-the-plan, which is effectively a... Uh, a new development, it could be off the plan or it could be under construction. So you're buying into a development which isn't completed. So you have stage payments. Um, Hopefully, if you're investing into the right development in the right location, um, 
with the you know good facilities etc you're going to see an uplift through construction mm-hmm. um and you know so it's, it should be a good investment um it's not 100 percent down and we look at both established areas and you know the up and coming areas some often some really good payment plans as, around as well what areas are hot when it comes to off plan where are you seeing a huge amount of interest to be honest, we have different areas. We have we have up and coming areas. I mean, for instance, JVC, which I never used to be a fan of. I must say, uh, you know, going there years ago before we had Google Maps, before <laughs> Nikhil had road signs, it's that circular system. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was frustrating. But I'd say now, if you look at, for instance, if you look at JVC, the the metro's plan for there in the future, they're widening widening Hesser Street, and you know they've had price lifts there of less than 20% over the last two years so you look at some of the prime areas the palm mm-hmm. uh, downtown uh, Burj Khalifa you know I mean the palm's doubled in price I think so supposed to buy hills but they're very established and we still see them as a good investments mm-hmm. but you're paying to be in an established area so what about top tips for anyone listening today who's been weighing up you know buying an existing property versus off plan what are some of the questions you should ask yourself to make sure you're making the right decision um, if you're buying a completed property, then obviously you've got to have 100% of the money, whether that's all cash or part finance. There's a good chance that the uh, it'll be tenanted. So you have to bear that in mind. It might take up to two years to get the tenant out. And you have to look at what you're buying into because what we've seen in Dubai is that the older buildings, whether it's the elements or they haven't been built as well, you know, the technology and engineering used now for the new developments is of such a higher mm-hmm. pedigree that you have to question, do you want to buy into something which is visibly getting old in Dubai, whether it's the lobby or, you know, getting into the lift. It's a bit old, a bit smelly, it's a bit, mm. So, whereas if you're buying into something brand new, nice and shiny, which people like in Dubai... We do. You know, something brand new now, in 10 years, it probably won't look 10 years old. Something 10 years old or 15 years old now does look that age and it puts people off wanting to buy into it. I'm curious. Based on this new Dubai Metro Blue Line, would you be looking at any of these areas going, yeah, I'd... I'd put I'd put my Durham's there. Um, yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I, I think you know, Sheikh Mohammed has said, you know, the um, getting around Dubai. You know, they, he wants it to be a twenty-minute city, mm-hmm. um, and because he's saying that, we've had twenty years of Sheikh Mohammed telling us these things, and you, you have to believe it now. He 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 will try and do that. I think there's a great quote, which is, you know, a, a rich city isn't one where everyone's driving a car; it's where rich people are using public transport, and it's just becoming more and more accessible. So. Thank you so much for shedding some light on this. And um, we are more than happy to take any questions. We've got House and House with us every single um, Monday afternoon. And we're going to be out on the road. We're heading to Arabian Ranches with some of your colleagues, Paul, next week. In the meantime, though, for anyone that does want to pick your brains or connect with you about buying off plan, what's the best way of getting in touch? Or can I share your your website? Would that be OK? Yep, you can share everything you want, me personally or for the company. <laughs> there you go. What an offer. <laughs> Paul Sheldon, thank you so, so much. It is always a busy hour on the radio and it's our legal clinic and in the hot seat today is Devon Mahadeva. He's director at Baker Tilly Law Corporation. What can we talk about? Right. I've taken this from your LinkedIn. Yes. You know a lot. Inheritance <laughs> planning, um, inheritance, you know, legal advice, business, business succession, estate planning, probate of wills, family counselling and dispute resolution, child custody, maintenance, even some employment law and labour dispute in there as well. How are you, Devnand? Doing good. Doing the climate good. is getting better, That's so mostly outdoor. It's glorious, isn't yes. it? It's absolutely <laughs> divine. However, <laughs> we're inside for the next hour, but yes. it's going to be good because I love getting your advice. And 
the text lines, as I said, open, as are the phone lines for anyone that's got a question for you. Before we go to the messages we've had already, you wanted to talk about prenups, which we have touched on before, but given that now the ease of getting married in Abu Dhabi, it's kind of opened up a few different areas of, of not necessarily concern, but of interest, certainly. Can you explain what a prenup is? Yeah, prenup is the uh, sort of conditions which you put into a contract uh, just before a marriage contract. Marriage is always a contract under the eyes of law. And it's a document which you put across where you will have some certain rules and regulations if there is going to be a separation or if you're going to go your own ways uh, in in the future. So you will put certain things like uh, the asset demarcation, like what has been earned before the marriage and what is earned after the marriage as a community mm-hmm. and how it's going to be treated and things like that. So that, uh, and even to an extent about child custody and things like that. So so that when there is a separation, there is no not much of a skimish, but then the uh, prenup gets implemented. I think my problem is I'm just a bit of a romantic. Yeah. I just think, you know, to go in, and I know it's, of course it's a sensible thing to do, but I think most people go into a marriage with the hope and desire that it will last a lifetime. Yeah. Um, however, we know the divorce numbers, and that isn't, isn't the case for, yes. for that many couples, sadly. Um, and I think one of the big kind of misconceptions has, has been that you basically need to be a Kardashian to have a prenuptial agreement, that you need to have vast vast wealth to make it worth your while. But do you feel like the demographic of people who are having a prenup has somewhat changed? Yes. I mean, it's, it's not that you don't have, you don't have to be super rich or rich to have a, uh, a prenup, but there can be disparities. I mean, between the spouses who are, who are getting married or the bride and the groom uh, getting married, their financial level disparity may be there. They may be of same age. And we find a lot of cases, even recently we have a case where uh, the the husband-to-be is about 30 years older than the wife-to-be. So their financial levels are totally different mm-hmm. uh, because they're in the different levels of their career. Uh, so then, of course, they want to have a prenuptial agreement in place so that there is no disturbance between their financial levels. Let's talk about the Abu Dhabi um, civil marriage now because, it's, as I said, it's got an awful lot easier to get married. Yeah. Where, does the, where does the intersect between prenups and that yeah. How it works in Abu Dhabi is that, you know, the Civil Marriage uh, uh, Act there, I mean, it has been there for some time, Civil Marriage Solemnization. The rest of the Emirates are going that way, but it's taking time, even in Dubai, it's taking time uh, to implement it. But in Abu Dhabi, they have already implemented and they're going on with it. So what happens is that uh, if one of you is a resident in this country, you can do a, a, a civil marriage in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and you can have a prenup agreement also attached towards the marriage agreement. Uh, It can be uploaded in the system uh, when the marriage is happening and the prenup also can be uploaded into the system and uh, the marriage can happen. What about post-nups? Yeah, that comes after the marriage and that can be done between the couple. Uh, after after the marriage, the post marriage, but you know really whether you agree or not, it's a different issue altogether. Yeah, I kind of find the idea of being like, yeah. So um, it's been a year now. How do you feel about putting a little post nap yes. <laughs> in the mix? Yeah, then then you're calling for a a separation. Yeah. It, it seems like you're paving the way a little bit. I yes. would say. Um, Devlin Hadeva is with us this afternoon from Baker Tilly. If you've got any questions for him, and it can be with getting married, getting divorced, we're going to be touching on next. 
And anything to do with inheritance and wills, we've had a number of messages about that. Lindsay saying, I've had an argument with my husband. He won't take out life insurance or get a will. I think we should. Do most people have it? Um, and a message here um, asking about, does it make a difference if I ask for a divorce or my husband does? We'll find out next. David Mahadeva, family legal expert at Baker Tilly Law Corporation. We've just been talking about prenups um, and I've had a number of messages about divorces. So we are going to be helping as many people as possible. Um, Devlin, the message here from Lucy. So I'm going to try and read it slowly. There's a lot of information in here, but I think it's a really valuable one, obviously for her, but for anyone else in a similar situation. Lucy's asking, are there any differences between if I ask for a divorce or if I wait for my husband to do it? Bit of background. I'm British. She's Arabic, not Emirati. We got married in Dubai under Sharia law. We've got three young children. I'm beyond devastated. I don't think our marriage can be fixed. Our tenancy agreement is due for renewal in February. So I'd like to know if he has to renew it, if there's a divorce in process. And if another option was um, considering is waiting until early summer and taking the kids to grandma's. From there, at least I can think a little bit more clearly. My question in that scenario would be, are there any legal repercussions if I choose to divorce from the UK instead? Lucy, she's saying my head's a mess at the minute. So let's try and break this down for her. So is there any difference in her situation? They got married here under Sharia law. So she must have converted. Converted. Um, Is there a difference between her asking for a divorce or waiting for her husband to do it? See, the basic difference is he can ask for a talaq. I mean, so he can, he doesn't have to exactly give in a reason. uh, And he can ask for a divorce from his wife. Uh, And of course, uh, it has to be over a period of time. uh, The divorce has to happen. And uh, where, when it comes to her asking for divorce, it's called kula because they are married under Sharia. Uh, I'm sure she has converted to Islam and she has married. So when it comes to she asking for divorce, it's a kula and she has to give valid reason why she's uh, doing that. And the judge has to find it uh, as a valid reason for her to get a divorce. Uh, then only they will grant a divorce for her. But is there any difference in terms of, I guess, the outcome for her? And I'm, I'm sure she's probably thinking about impact on, you know, custody of children, time with children, how she could be treated in terms of financial payments as well. Yes. See, uh, custody of children goes as per their age. So if they're very young, of course, the custody will automatically go to the mother unless the father can uh, prove that the mother is not fit to be a uh, efficient mother or, or a reasonable, I mean, a responsible mother. Uh, other than that, the, the, the custody automatically, if they are young, it goes to the uh, mother as such. But the guardianship remains with the father and he has to take care of all the expenses of the children. Now, coming to the maintenance for the wife, um, as, per, as per Sharia, he's supposed to give maintenance only for three months post-divorce. It's called the period of idat. And uh, he can give maintenance for three months. And after that, uh, a lady is not eligible for any maintenance. But the children But are. the children has to be taken care of till they uh, reach adulthood. And uh, all the expenses have to, taken care, has to be taken care of. And she has mentioned about the renewal of the rental contract. Yes, he has to renew because the children are living in that household. He has to renew and maintain the uh, household. And she becomes the caretaker of the children, the guardian, I mean, the 
custodian of the children. So she gets to stay in the same house. Yeah. Okay. So her other point was, is there, so I guess the short answer, is there a difference between her asking for a divorce versus him asking in terms of the outcome for her? Not really. No, not really. Only thing is the judge has to be convinced that there is a valid reason for divorce when a lady files it for a kula. Okay. Um, and a message here saying, um, sorry, I guess the follow up is, is there any difference if she chooses divorce from the UK? Yes, I mean, she can. I mean, being a, a being a British citizen, she can go back and request for a divorce. But it's going to be a bit complicated because she has got married under Sharia in UAE and uh, she has converted. As well. Which is what she's saying. She doesn't have to convert if she married under Sharia. A, a gentleman would, but she Yes, because wouldn't. if she's if she's a kitabia, if she's a, a Christian or a Jew, she doesn't have to convert. And she could have um, got married even without converting. Um it's it's very rare. It's a very rare case which happens. It's possible to marry a, a Muslim man, a, a, a Christian woman or a Jew woman can get married to a, a as per the, uh, the Sunni lawyer. Okay. Okay, Lucy, I really hope that helps. Um, so please, please, please um, do reach out if there's any of the more information that we can help you with. Um, and no name on this one. You can be anonymous saying, my husband has told me if I try to divorce him, he will try to take full custody of the kids, which I doubt is possible, but you never know. We're non-Muslim, got married here in church, no prenup. Uh, again, it's all based on the age. Uh, and of course, now Dubai court, uh, when it is non-Muslims, they have been giving joint custody as well. I just saw a judgment last week where uh, the, ju- the judge has given a judgment saying that uh, one week with the father, one week with the mother. Okay, so what, like alternating? Alternate weeks <laughs> they have to spend uh, as a joint custody. Okay. So that is possibility. But normally the custody goes to the mother uh, when the children are very young. Okay. Um it would be very unlikely, as you said, he would have to provide a valid, tangible, proven reason that she would be an unfit mother for those children not to be with her. Yes. Okay. Yes, too. Um, staying with divorce, we've had a number of questions actually about um, about wills, which we'll come to after half past. Um, message here um, from Anonymous saying, I've recently, sorry, I've recently separated from my husband and have met someone else. He is very bitter about it and is threatening to get us arrested as legally I am still married to him. We're both British, British passports, got married in Dubai. I just want to know, is he within his rights to get us both arrested and can he benefit from this? So, um, she's gone on, that's about the best form of divorce because we've got married here a bit in a Christian church. Let's, do, let's deal with the first part. So, she's legally married, she's met someone else, husband, who she is legally still married, not happy about it and is threatening to go to the, the police um, is there a case there? Not exactly, because uh, it's a ground. Adultery, uh, if it is so, if it can be proven, uh, is a ground for divorce. However, proving adultery is far more complicated than yes. you might think. Yes, it's very, very complicated. But if he can prove it's a ground for divorce. But um, if, so, if like he's not interested anyway. in her and she's not <laughs> interested in him, get a mutual divorce. I mean, it's as simple as that. Okay, so that was the second part. What's the best form of divorce? We got married here, but in a Christian church. So let's just talk the easiest, quickest, hopefully cheapest way to get a divorce. Is to have a mutual divorce. Sit and talk and settle it off. And as we've said before, if there are children, put them first. Yes, Child-centric that's the most important thing. Yeah. Devon and Deva with us today. We've got some questions about wills. Um, Lindsay wants to know, should her husband get life insurance and should they be getting a will? 
she thinks he should. Um, and Emily says, just got off the phone with our will trust in the UK, only to be told the will there is not valid if we were to die in another country. Devlin Deva is in the studio. He's a director at Baker Tilly Law Corporation. We can talk family counselling and dispute resolutions. We've been talking prenups, postnups and divorce. Um, we've had a number of messages about wills and estate planning, for, for want of a better phrase. Uh, Lindsay says, hi both. Argument with my husband. He won't take out life insurance or get a will. I think he should. Do most people have it? Thank you. Those are two separate questions. Yeah, it's two separate <laughs> things. Life insurance is to take care of you financially uh, when some eventuality happens. And will is something which takes care of you not only financially, even all the other things like kids' guardianship and uh, various things or various assets which has to be covered, not only just life insurance. So uh, it's two different things which are very, very important for a person uh, when they start accumulating uh, assets or uh, building a family. Definitely on your side, Lindsay. I think the, the, her, her second point was, do most people have them? Uh, yes. Uh, do they? Uh, it depends on uh, the attitude of people. And, and most of them, it's ideal to have. And uh, most of them do have. I mean, I'd be interested. I'd be interested if we did a little poll about how many people listening today have life insurance and have wills in place. I don't think it would be that many. It's not the majority. No, no it's definitely not. not. <laughs> Although, interestingly, we've had, it, you know, over the years, a number of really distressing situations where having that paperwork in place would have saved an awful lot of headache and heartache. The basic issue is that people are on a denial. We don't like to think that, about it. Yes. I mean, this eventuality will happen to all of us, but we are all in a denial. Not so me. <laughs> it's my superpower. I'm going to live forever. Yes. Um, Emily on this topic says, um, um, great timing, guys. I've just got off the phone with our will trust in the UK this morning, only to be told the will there is not valid if we were to die in another country. Obviously, I know we have to do a separate will here about the guardianship of our children, but we have no assets here at all. It's the first time I've heard about it. I'm really annoyed I hadn't been informed before. Um, what do you recommend? It's better to have a local uh, will registered in this country if you're living here. It's not only just guardianship. I mean, you may say that I don't have any assets, but I'm sure people have bank accounts. People have cars. Uh, these are all assets. It's not just you have to have a real estate in this country. Uh, so it's very important that you may hold a lot of things, including, you know, belongings at home. Mm -hmm. And they all come under a will. You know, it all it, it's inheritance. So, so can the guardianship and, um, of your children document exist outside of a will here? Uh, yes. Um, uh, DIFC has a system to have a separate guardianship document. But as a lawyer, I would recommend when you're doing all these, do it as a whole, whole, wholesome document so mm -hmm. that the will covers the guardianship as well. Okay. Devlin Mahadeva with us. If you've got any questions relating to wills, um, that can be Muslim, non-Muslim, talking about the options available, by all means do reach out. Um, Jay, back to divorce, I'm afraid, yeah. uh, which I know is your life, yeah. <laughs> helping people in all sorts of situations. Um, Jay says, my friend has found um, out her husband is leaving her and her children literally overnight last week saying he wants a divorce. Yeah. He's taken all the money and wants them to all move back to the UK. She doesn't want to move back, and the children also want to stay in Dubai. So she's looking for some advice on the legal side. Where does she stand 
Is divorce better here if she wants to stay here or in the UK? They're both British. It was a UK wedding. If that makes any difference, many thanks in advance. It doesn't matter where they're getting the divorce, uh, but she has to uh, protect herself by having her own visa in this country. If he's moving out and if she's on his visa, sponsored visa and the children as well. Should we do a bit of a role play? Yes. I don't want to get the old the old Dubai rumor mill going about me and my husband. We're very happily married. We're not yeah. getting a divorce. <laughs> However, we are both British. Yeah. Um, um, so if, let's say we were to get divorced, he mm. wants to go back to the UK. And I'm like, absolutely not. I love my job. The kids are happy in school. Yeah. Had I been on his visa, I would either have to transfer to my own work visa or if I wasn't yeah. working, get a job that provided a visa. Yes. Sponsor the children. Yes. Would I need any kind of NOC from my husband though in order to sponsor the children? Definitely. You need an NOC from your husband to sponsor the children. Well, what happens then if he goes, I don't want you to be in the U.S. Uh, then you have to file in for a, a child custody uh, petition okay. and get a custody so that you could uh, sponsor the children. Okay. Oh. Okay. It's complicated. It is. Yeah. It is. But in terms of, in terms of, is divorce better here if she wants to stay here or, or in, in the UK? It, it simply doesn't matter. She can get it a, a mutual divorce in uh, UK or she can get a mutual divorce in UAE. Only thing is, it has to be properly documented so that the child custody, the guardianship, and as well as the maintenance of the children and the alimony, everything is taken care of. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. If he was out of the country, is she still eligible for payments to support the children? Yes, she is. If she has a judgment in her favour, she can always demand the payments. Okay. I really hope that helps and all the very best to your friend. We've got time for one last question. Uh, no name on this one saying, a question about wills. Am I correct? When applying for a will in the UAE, is it the following I'm paying for? A will? a translation of the will, cover for the will to cover global assets, registration in the courts. Am I missing anything? I'm receiving a fee of over 17000 for two people. Is that realistic? Um, and I'd appreciate any contacts as well. Yeah, see, um, uh, it's like this. Where you are registering the will, the cost differs. So there are three things which cost here. One is uh, the cost to the law firm or the lawyer, their fees. And then you have the translation fees. And then you have the uh, the registration fees. So the registration fees, the, normally the, the lawyer fees is sort of static. Um, it's normally most of the law firms charge a standard fee instead of a variable fee like in commercial matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you come to the registration, it the cost differs where you're registering, whether you're doing it in ADJD or you're doing it in Dubai courts or you're doing it in uh, uh, DIFC the cost may differ. Okay, hope that helps. One more question that's just come in, yes. so I know this listener's listening right now. Yeah. Um, saying, do we need to list down all of our assets here and back home at the time of making the will in Dubai? And does that mean you need to constantly update it? Great question, especially if you are I don't know, saying you're buying a property. I mean, we mentioned cars earlier, whether it's, you know, jewellery, whatever. How does that work? Because that could get really expensive updating it all the time. Yeah, like you used yourself as an example. I'll use myself as an example. Go on then. (laughs) I have been in this country for 22 years. And the current car I'm driving is my 25th car. Wow. We should say being an automobile buff. You're a motorhead. Yes. So uh, I do agree that. And uh, (laughs) when, when I have to change every car and if I have to change my will, it's going to be a very, very expensive affair, even for me, <laughs> paying the government all that fees. Uh, so uh, that is not the ideal thing. It 
the listing comes, listing of assets comes only when you want to be demarcating the assets for particular people, especially uh, fixed assets. But your movable assets like bank accounts and things like that can go in percentages instead of uh, what what is important in a will is the beneficiaries, not what you own. And that might change should should someone that you were wishing to pass something down they they pass or there's a relationship breakdown. So it's more to do with the recipients rather than the assets as such. Yes, it's 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 based on who are the, your beneficiaries, not what you own, because it's very dynamic. Okay. Devon and Mahadeva, thank you so much. I know you're off to COP28, so I won't, I won't hold you back. Have a brilliant yeah. afternoon. We'll be there tomorrow um, and we'll speak to you very soon indeed. Devon and Mahadeva, um, he is director at Baker Tilly Law Corporation. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.